five, six, seven, eight. Sheila. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Gilmore to Say with Tara and Haley. I'm Tara. This is Haley. Hi, Haley. Hi, Tara. We've been talking about doing an episode like this probably since we started our podcast. We had the immense pleasure of being joined last week by Sheila R. Lawrence, who was a writer on Gilmore Girls from seasons two through four. She came on our show and she is such a delight. We talk everything from Gilmore Girls to being in a writer's room with Amy and Dan, not just on Gilmore Girls, but on Bunheads and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And then we bring it all the way to today where writers like Sheila are currently fighting for their careers as they navigate the WGA writer strike. And Sheila had a lot of insight to share on that. We hope you enjoy. so glad to have you here, Sheila. Thank you for joining Gilmore to Say. I am so excited to be here. I cannot believe people still want to hear about Gilmore. <laughs> I know. It's so funny because, you know, for us, this show is still so present in our lives because we watch it all of the time. But for you, for somebody who worked on the show, this happened so long ago for you. And so we're so excited to have you on here to just kind of reminisce about some things. Um, but we also fully understand that there are a lot of things that, again, are very ever present to us that you might be like, wait, that happened. <laughs> and that is totally fine. I always feel like I let people down, though, because they're like, oh, my God. And then remember in your in your episode that you wrote this amazing thing that happened. And, and I'm like, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it exactly. Mean, it does not mean I love the show any less, because as I always say, I was a fan before. I worked there. I was a fan of it season one and would tell people, hey, there's this little show that no one knows about that's amazing. Um, so I yeah. get the fan perspective, but but um, yeah, 20 years ago and, you know, it, being in a writer's room over time, you start to forget what actually got into the show versus what you just like, what paths you went down in the room and then maybe ultimately put aside. Um, so Fans have a much, much better knowledge of the show than I do. <laughs> That's all right. We're hoping to jog a little bit of your memory, but definitely we wanted to let you know that this is a safe space. And if there's something that you're like, I don't remember. Totally cool. That is okay. totally fine. Um, but just a reminder for our listeners, you were an executive producer and many other titles on Gilmore Girls from 2001 to 2004. You joined in the second season. Um, so you mentioned that you were a fan of the show before the show. So we'd love to know a little bit about how you uh, got your job on Gilmore Girls. Sure. But I do have to correct. I was never an executive producer. I was a co-executive oh. producer. Co-executive producer. I'm still very proud of, but but writers are picky about their titles and I don't want to say. No, I think that's so. Yeah. Thank Dan, you. Dan and Amy were the only executive producers on seasons one through six. So. Got it. Um, okay. Good to know. Yeah. So I, you know, at the time it was just it was the, there's like a network staffing time of year which tends to be like april and may because writers typically a writer's room starts about six weeks before the show starts shooting um by the way this is all different with streamers now p.s part of the reason we're on strike yes which i want us to talk i definitely want us to talk about for sure <laughs> <Why not? laughs> um so this is an old model but but so writers would start early and then production would start in you know mid-july um so i met with them in in april and it was just through my agent um they you know before i got the call to meet with them you know the agencies send them tons of scripts of clients who they think might be right for the show um, and so I was in that pile and thank God, I think their assistant was doing their reading that year and their assistant 
liked my script as well as some others. And so then the ones that were liked, they meet with those people. And the meeting was just, we got along so well, just instantaneously and just had things in common and you know, they're big music people, obviously. And I was yeah. that night going to the U2 concert and they were like, oh, we went last night and, you know, make sure you get there early enough to see Liz Fair open for them or whoever it was. I don't remember if it was Liz Fair, but anyway, it was like, oh, and then we were just speaking the same language. And it was funny because I'm always worried about uh, sounding insincere when I say I like the show. And and to be honest, in a lot of meetings, um, you do have to say you like the show, even though you <laughs> do not. Of course. But, but because I hadn't said anything, poor Amy finally had to say, like, so do you watch the show? <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, you went no. too far the other I way. Do. I did. I went way too far. But maybe that's why they liked me though, because I wasn't I didn't come in too desperate. <laughs> so anyway, so we got along great. And then um I had been in my car about five minutes leaving the meeting and got the call from my agent that they were making an offer so no um, way yeah no. it was great it was great that's amazing did you feel like and I don't know if you and Amy or Dan had this conversation but did you feel like there was something specific about your writing that allowed you to stand out from other writers that you brought to this show um I think it's just a similar sensibility to theirs you know when you're writing on someone else's show you obviously you want to have your own ideas and your own sensibility, but you also need to be able to match the voice of the show to, you know, to whatever extent you can very hard on Gilmore girls, um, as related to other shows. Um, and so I think they just, the spec script that they had read of mine, um, I can see now that I know them. I'm like, Oh, I see why they liked that script, why they liked the stories. Cause just some of the things that I found funny that I had put in my spec, are the kinds of things they they would like as well so it's yeah. Just, um, yeah it's just kind of having the same writer brain or at least a similar enough writer brain yeah and it sounds like in your interview with them you were able to connect with them about stuff that was so outside yet related to what both of your writing contains like when you have similar interests to someone and you can kind of share in that commonality I think that that gives you a desire to want to work with that person even more you're like oh I would hang out with you so therefore I would love to work with you and I like your writing (laughs) and I like your show absolutely no and that's in in um shows where you spend most of your time in the writer's room so mostly comedies or relationshipy dramas a big chunk of it is your writing but another big chunk of it in the meeting is just seeing is this a person I want to be in a room with you know 8 10 12 hours a day um yeah. so it, it's really they, they go hand in hand yeah totally yeah I was just I was lucky that that we hit it off and continued to do so I I don't know if you know but I like I did I did Bunheads beginning to end yes I did one and a half seasons of Maisel as well Maisel. So, yeah. Um, yeah I've been uh very fortunate to uh yeah you've had a very long-term relationship with them <laughs> Which I love. I think that's great. So I'm glad you brought up the writer's room because I I think we're all curious, especially in what you were sharing about the titles and everybody getting very specific about their titles. Can you kind of take us on the journey of what a writer's room in general looks like? And then, you know, how you come to get a writing credit on a show like Gilmore Girls, you know, because I think that, like you said, there were certain episodes that you were credited as a writer on, but you worked on, you know, three full seasons of this show where you were in the writer's room, I imagine, but weren't given the credit of writer. How does that come about? 
Okay, so there's a whole lot of questions in there. So so feel free if I forget one of them. No, it's okay. I did just throw back. a lot at you. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, let's see. And, and every show is different, just a really confused thing. So, but speaking to Gilmore Girls specifically, um, we broke, uh, call it breaking an episode. That's when you figure out what all of the beats and scenes of the episode are going to be. And we did that in huge detail in the writer's room. We filled up three giant dry erase boards with like teeny tiny writing. You know, Amy talks a lot about the choreography of her shows and we would even choreograph in the board break. We, you know, Rory, Rory and Lorelai walk into Luke's. They order blueberry pancakes. You know, Luke is grumpy, whatever. It was all, <laughs> um, it was all right there. So for me as a writer, it was, um, you know, it was just, it was a different thing to, to go, okay, in the script that has my name on it, I'm probably not going to have written an enormous part of it because Amy does um, rewrite everything. But I have seen my handprints in a big way over all of the episodes I was there for, um, mm -hmm. especially because Dan and Amy draw a lot from real life. So I, I learned early on that if I told an embarrassing story, it would likely end up <laughs> somewhere. So my, my, my job in college as a meal card punch puncher you know rory ended up doing that like yes, oh, yes. Yeah, that was her job <laughs> yeah. it's so funny because i was going to ask you if there were any you know strokes of your personal life that ended up in there which i'm, I'm sure there always are as a writer because your personal experiences end up in there but i know that they love to do that with their own personal lives and then with helen pie and hep oh, alien yeah. and dave Rogalski, you know like there were so many really fun easter eggs that were woven into it so that's really cool to learn about one of yours yeah and there are, I mean, the ones I wrote obviously do have a little bit more of me in them. Um, there's a yeah. there's a fight between Emily and Lorelai in There's the Rub when they go to the spa and they have this great bonding weekend. And then Emily gets uncomfortable that, that she let her guard down and she became a little too vulnerable and then takes it out by getting, you know, mad at Lorelai. Um, the specifics were very different, but that came out of an experience with my mom um yeah or again we got we got a little too close over a weekend and then and then yeah it was two weeks of anger after that. <laughs> so, um wow so yeah I, I love when you can do that when you you take the emotions from an event in your life and kind of graft them on to the show that you're writing for that's really satisfying yeah. to get to do that and in some ways, give it a, a nice ending, because I imagine you and your mom didn't steal robes together. <laughs> did not, but we're okay now. It's okay. Yeah, good. <laughs> good. good. Yes, the TV ending is better. <laughs> Always. So then what gives a writer the writing credit of written by at the end of the day? Yeah, so, and again, varies by show, but um, sure. on... On some shows, not Gilmore, on some shows, you have to come in and pitch the story that you're going to write. That tends to be more like procedural dramas. So mm -hmm. uh, you know, my husband is on a show called Criminal Minds, and mm -hmm. they, there, I mean, every word in a script with his writing credit on it was written by him. Um, mm. And that's a very different thing. In a comedy or Gilmore Girls, which, you know, Dan and Amy both came from a half hour comedy background. Um, you just, you do everything in the room and it all, you know, the story ideas are just kind of everyone's and it's almost just like logistically, who does it make sense to have write the next episode? Um, you know, Dan and Amy would will always write the first couple. Um, and then usually 
it, it can vary, but it usually goes like the, the, the co-APs who are the next highest level end up writing some and then down to the producers and then staff writers. Um, and it, it typically just goes in order like that. And then Dan and Amy will write a whole bunch more. And um, a lot of times based on what you have guaranteed in your contract. So I think I had two a year, um, Maisel, I had one. So, um, and it, they usually make that decision before you start breaking the episode in the room, which is helpful because you might pay like 2% more attention when it's yours. <laughs> sure. <laughs> when it's yeah, makes sense. <laughs> so. The other question to that is, with um like an episode that you've done in full I know like in season three let the games begin you have a credit as a story editor but the writing credit was for Amy mm -hmm. um how does that differentiate between doing one that's entirely credited to you yeah so um story editor is just one of the um kind of ranks of writers according to the writers guild and so in a writer's room you don't talk about it a lot but there's sort of an understanding of of what level each person is because when a showrunner is out of the room you need to know who is kind of the next in line to make decisions and move forward because it's not math there's not a, always a, a clear right answer it's someone at some point having to say oh i like that idea let's pursue that um so the writers guild has uh, the, you know you start as a staff writer then you move up to story editor. So that so a story editor is typically someone who's been a writer for a couple of years. Um, and then executive story editor, co-producer, producer, supervising producer, co-executive producer, executive producer. That's and, and in there you can throw in consulting. Um, and then there's you know different it's different experience levels, different pay levels obviously tend to come with that. Right. And as you move up and start to get the word producer in your name, uh, typically you're expected to be able to do more than just write scripts. You, you might be in casting or on set or in post-production. Um, you're just you're supposed to be learning more about the whole picture on how to make an episode of television. Right. You said you're supposed to a lot there. Is that because that did not manifest <laughs> it that way? <laughs> I, as I was saying it, I'm like, why am I saying supposed to? And, and I think subconsciously it's because on, on Gilmore... The writers were always in the writer's room and we didn't tend to yeah. do those other things. Um, Dan and Amy did all of that, which is 100% fine and their prerogative and, and part mm. of why the shows are so successful because it's such a clear vision that gets through. Um, but that was part of why I left after season four was I, I needed to learn the skills that went along with my title. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I also felt like it was such a specific style of writing that I was gonna go out into the world and think, a story as small as Rory loses a bracelet would fly anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, totally. No, I think that it, there's, there's something so powerful in walking away from something that you love, but you just need to spread your wings a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah. obviously like that was not on bad terms cause you went on to do bunheads and Maisel and, and I think that that's amazing. Again, build this long-term relationship with these two really, really amazing creators. No. And it was, they were kind enough to ask me back season six, um, in anticipation of maybe not being able to work out their deal in season seven, mm. um, to which I said, you know, there's no way Warner Brothers will let you go. Of course you're going to be there. <laughs> I'm not going to be cool to that. But, but more importantly, I wouldn't have wanted to be that showrunner who, who tries to do their show without them. I don't care how good you are at writing an approximation of what they do, which I, I 
you know, could do better than a lot of people just from time spent and whatever. But sure. I cannot, no one would mistake my script for an Amy script ever. And I'm like, I don't want to be in that position. That is a no way. Yeah. And to hear, you know, what fans think of season seven, including myself, you know, it, it's a different show. It's just, it's, there's something it's a different show. Yeah. Yeah. We say that on here all the time. We're like, uh, season seven, we don't know if we're going to count it, um, but you know, because it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't feel like it. it. It's really about how it feels, you know, with all yeah. respect to the writers who ended up carrying that oh, torch forward, yeah. all like no disrespect for to them. For sure. Yeah. It's just moreover, it didn't, there was, there was something and, and there is something that you feel in Amy and Dan's shows. So on that note, was that writer's room, was the way that that was structured very similar to how Bunheads and Maisel yeah, was structured? A hundred percent. And I had even thought, I was like, okay, well, Maisel, many years later, maybe they do things differently now. Nope. It was exactly, exactly the same. <laughs> wow. How, how did that differ being a streaming service and having that all kind of released at one time versus Gilmore that was released weekly? Did that change at all? Um, no, I don't, because I don't, well, I don't, I don't remember exactly if I was still, no, I wasn't writing there once it was finally released. I guess that's uh, talking about Maisel. Um, I think yeah. they writing was done and then there was still a lot of posts to do and, and Amazon has to, you know, translate it into a million languages and you know, whatever. So there was a lot before it went on the air. So I do, I love the luxury of time, but I hate, I miss the immediacy of, um, you know, toward the end of the season, especially when you've gotten really far behind, that something you're writing one week could be on the on TV in like two weeks, <laughs> and you're like, Wait, yeah, uh-huh. that, and here it is, and my parents are watching it. Um, yeah, yeah, oh, that must be so cool. That must be so exciting. It was. So you worked on seasons two through four, mm-hmm. and um, those, arguably, for me are like some of the best of Gilmore Girls. Like I loved those seasons so much. Like you mentioned, there's the rub and that's one of Tara's favorite episodes. That's my favorite episode of season two. Oh my God. Bar none, without a shadow of a doubt. I just think it was so, and I'm not even just saying this because you're here. I've talked about this for the last year and a half. Like so many episodes she's mentioned it. Yes, I do. I talk about it all the time because it's such a well-written episode. So much happens. You're never bored. It's a good mother-daughter episode. The Dean and the Jess of it all. And Paris. Oh God, the Paris. Paris, We always refer to Paris in those times when she gets really soft as mac and cheese Paris because of that. I mucho mac and cheese line. (laughs) I love that. Well, Liza delivered that so well. Liza. Oh, just phenomenal. So good. So like their friendship and the way that they bonded and know there was a deleted scene, but like, we've all seen it. And I I don't even know what's the deleted scene. There was a deleted scene between the two of them, um, where they're on the couch and they're watching TV. The Indian food has finally arrived. And Paris is basically like, he likes you, you know? And Rory's like, I hope so. He's my boyfriend. And she's like, no, Jess. And Rory is like, I have a boyfriend. (laughs) Paris is like, yeah, I know, but he likes you. Okay, well, let's move on. <laughs> this you is know? a perfect example of me not knowing, because I'm like, yeah, I remember that scene. Wait, you, of course you remember that scene. That episode. <laughs> it did it, and it's so funny, because it's a big argument online, people being like, no, this was in the episode, and I'm like... Yeah, because it was a DVD extra. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, but it's it's such a pivotal scene, because it's someone for the first time pretty much calling Rory out on the fact that she totally has feelings for Jez, and he totally has feelings for her. Yeah. And everyone wondered when the Indian food was going to arrive. Exactly, we were all like, did the Indian food ever come? <laughs> so it kind of wraps up a lot of things for us, but it's just so nuanced and well done. But the reason that I brought it up is because you were there for the Jess Mariano era, which is such a popular era amongst... Yeah 
the fandom. So it's funny. We have talked so much about like, if we ever get one of the writers on the show, we have to ask yeah. them like X, Y, Z. If oh, we boy. had a dollar okay. for every time we said that, like Haley yeah. and I would be able to retire early. <laughs> but specifically with Jess Mariano, I'm, I think we're all very curious. So the series, the spinoff series that was planned yeah. when word circle, did you work on that? No, but Amy was doing it while we were there. So I was very aware of it, but um, yeah. Uh, and maybe we might've gone to the table read and given notes or something. I, I'm not sure, but. So I, I don't know if this is like so deep in the vault, but do you remember when that idea came about and how that happening impacted Jess's storyline? How the, the, the pilot for his own show impacted the storyline. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I wish I did. I'm, I'm failing you already. Um, no, it's okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't. It's a very specific question. I mean, I, I don't, but I don't recall it impacting his storyline. I don't recall. I feel like I'm on the stand. I don't recall. No, I don't remember like making contingency plans. Like, okay, if he's gone, we're, we're going to go down this path. Or if he's here, I don't, I, I don't feel like we did that. But a lot of times, I, I think a lot of um, Amy and Dan's shows, a lot of the crucial things happen like at dinner when we're all not there. <laughs> so, right. Oh, right. sure. <laughs> they're on, they're working 24 hours a day in their brains on of the course. world. And so sometimes, you know, it's like, especially at the beginning of a season, it's like, okay, this season, she's going to have a bad boy boyfriend. You know, Dean was a great mm. boyfriend, but that's not someone she should be with forever. And, mm-hmm. you know, so like the, the initial idea may have come up earlier. And so likewise with the, with the Jess spinoff, um, I'm sure they had a plan in place for how to handle yeah. it and um, that we just maybe weren't privy to and then ultimately uh, didn't need to put into action anyway. So Right. And there was never a moment, though, where they're like, well, Jess is going to California. We need to get him there. What's the path to get him there? Oh, boy. Maybe. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure, there could have been. <laughs> I need to maybe. rewatch. I desperately rewatch um yeah because it's I think that that's what's kind of um always been on our minds at least my mind I mean I was team Jess very much when I was a kid I loved him uh-huh. so so much as a kid as an adult as a kid as an adult <laughs> let me tell you as a 31 year old woman I'm still I'm still there I'm still rooting for him but I think that what kind of broke my heart a little bit was in season three when they get together and this is life you know as a kid this made me sad but as an adult yeah. I'm like this is life but they didn't work out you know their relationship was very tumultuous and he wasn't a good boyfriend because he was 17 years old and had no idea like no emotional growth um but it was just so interesting that like we built up to this place of the two of them being together. Right. And then to have it go in a direction where he just completely lets her down. I was like, you know, as I started watching it more and more as an adult, I was like, I wonder if this was always the plan to get him to this like spinoff to get him to California so that like he, he needed an excuse to leave. And so I think a lot of people in the fandom have always wondered that, you know, like would he have been on the show even if they didn't stay together, was yeah, he meant yeah. to be a series regular or because they had planned the spinoff where they like, oh, he'll be a series regular, but on his own series. So I was just curious yeah. if that was ever on the table. That is such a good question. And I am on Monday, we're doing a Gilmore Writers reunion uh, picket line. 
And so I will ask oh, wow. um, uh, three of my co-writers from that from those that season what if they remember. <laughs> that I'll, would be amazing. I'll, I'll Thank you. Um, <laughs> because yes, as you say it, I'm like, well, that makes perfect sense that we were planning for him to go to California to his own show. Um, yeah. Uh, I just yeah don't I just don't remember it. <laughs> but I, yeah, of course. The way you lay it out, yes, that absolutely is plausible. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but cowboy boots are magic. Since they've arrived, I've worn my Tecovis boots almost every day. I have the Annie in Midnight. I know you have the Annie in Bone. I do. But they make me feel so powerful because, of course, it is my dream to be a cowgirl. Yes, I know this about you. But I also know <laughs> you've told me that you wear them while you write your book. I do. I wear them all the time because I also wear them when I get dressed up or when I'm sitting at my dress recording the podcast because they make me feel so bold and brave and like I can do anything no matter how I style them. Tecovis has carried forward all the time-honored traditions and quality that you find in a great pair of cowboy boots, but they've innovated on comfort, style, and service with boots for men and women handmade from the most premium leathers. And if you dream of being cowgirls like us or you're already Western to your core, Tecovis is the perfect brand to start with because they believe in Western for all. They don't only offer their handmade boots, but all sorts of head-to-toe Western staples. Perfect jeans to go with your boots, pearl snaps, bandanas, and cowboy hats. You name it and they'll get you out. Outfitted. And if you can't make it into a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. So visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And as a special opportunity for our listeners, Tecovis has said that they will throw in one of their best-selling trucker hats or ball caps for free into any minimum purchase of $100 on tecovis.com. Just use the code Gilmore at checkout. That's G-I-L-M-O-R-E. It's about a $30 value and they sell fast, so they're always new styles and looks. Again, for a limited time, just enter code Gilmore at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tecovis. Only at tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com and point your toes west. Haley, I feel like most of our followers already know that we don't really drink alcohol, but we do love a fun beverage. Oh, we do. Both of us think a fun beverage and a chill night is the epitome of a good time, especially when that drink is a recess mood, which is a delicious sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like mood lifting magnesium and stress balancing adaptogens. So you can relax without the alcohol. I drink mine every night while reading, of course. Tara, tell everyone how you enjoy yours. Honestly, I usually drink mine while we're recording the podcast. <laughs> it's my favorite way to enjoy a recess. And all of our besties can get 15% off the Recess Mood Sampler Pack at takearecess.com slash GTS. Recess Mood is made with real fruit and comes in four delicious flavors like strawberry rose and raspberry lemon. But my personal favorite is the grapefruit tangerine. And with only 20 calories and no added sugar, it's the perfect way to chill. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash GTS and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. But you mentioned that you're going to have a Gilmore reunion soon for your uh, at the picket line. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. So I was uh, when I was uh, picketing today uh, at Fox, there was a party of five reunion and you both are too young to know the show from party of five. But um, and it was the right of writers and a few of the cast members, actually. And I was like, wait a minute, this is a good opportunity to get together with the Gilmore writers who there were 
four of us in particular who were very, very close um, the, of those seasons that I was there. So so John Stevens, Jane Espenson, Janet Leahy, and myself. And we never get to see each other because we live far apart from each other in Los Angeles. And yeah. with traffic, you just, <laughs> unless someone like sure. lives in your neighborhood, you lose touch a little bit. So so we decided, and I, I want to, over the weekend, reach out to just other Gilmore people and see if they want to join us as well. So I love that. That's so cool. That's so exciting. I want to come. I don't live in LA, but I'm going to, I'm going to consider yeah. it. <laughs> so um, earlier we were talking about Jess and we were talking about Dean and, you know, the chapter of Rory's life that went from Dean as a boyfriend to Jess as a boyfriend. And especially because you watched the show and then went on to write on the show, we're curious how you feel about Dean because I don't know if you know this uh-huh. and I don't want to sway your opinion <laughs> but the fandom has kind of like in these you know different times have been like Dean was a little problematic yeah. instead of being kind of the golden boy he's turned into this kind of problematic character for a lot of people so I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that thing well I have I have to say though in in just as an overall thought on Rory and and what team to be on I, I've always said I'm I'm on team Rory but I don't yeah. I personally don't think she found her person yet um and I may be saying that as someone who myself you know met my husband at age 36 so I'm I am on the like she is way too young <laughs> one person um totally so I don't think she's found her guy yet and I but I do think that each of the boys, almost men she dated, um, filled a different role at that point in her life and kind of helped yeah. move on to the next next phase. Um, and so Dean was you know, kind of cute and dumb. I mean, I just, I, we never <laughs> seriously, like there was no thought, yeah. you know, she's in high school and he's just like the local boy and doesn't challenge anyway. And he, he's perfectly nice, but I never... No part of me was like, oh, they should have been together forever. <laughs> like, no, totally <laughs> not. Really Especially where you guys left us at the end of season four with the way that he uh, cheats on his wife and yeah. <laughs> goes on to make some poor choices. Yeah, yeah. But that's what we love about this show is that it like shines a light on the human experience because we're all human and we all make mistakes. Um, yeah. But with Dean in particular, I think a lot of people have – in watching this show through like a 2023 lens have been like, wow, this was like, I mean, he was a teenager, so let's put that caveat on it. Right. But he was also very jealous and had a tendency to be a little possessive and, you know, again, qualities that a teenager has, but we all are a little bit like, huh? Yeah. He always thought Dean was a a little too angry. He's a little (laughs) angry. Yeah. So I was just curious. I was curious what your thoughts were on that. Having had to kind of uh, contribute to his character and to writing him. And if that was ever, ever on your mind as as far as I recall probably not because again it, as we were doing it we knew he was not the forever guy it was a guy yeah it was just a first boyfriend so I think it was kind of okay for him to have these flaws because she was never going to be with him anyway um sure yeah I mean and I do know like a number of things about the show haven't necessarily aged well into where we are now. I, I was either watching or reading a, uh, an episode and I forgot about all the, um, the kind of uh, body shaming that happens on the oh, show. Yeah. I was like, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's not great anymore. <laughs> totally. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure if I watched all seven uh, seasons, there would be a lot of things that, I would critique it at yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. So I hope people can at least contextualize it and it 
was a different time and none of us are are you know horrible people <laughs> who wrote it it was just a very different time especially in comedy it was you know anything and I think Amy still believes this you know anything is fair game to get a laugh on yeah she is very much like an anything's fair game kind of lady but I have noticed the way that um you know her comedy style has shifted just very slightly because she's writing you know something 20 years later but that is something we talk about on the show is you know watching re-watching this show you know 20 plus years later and how things have changed and it's okay for two things to be true at once that you know at the time it was it yeah. was just a different time but then also you know right now it's it just didn't age well and that's okay I mean there are so many I mean we could go on and on about how many shows have episodes that did not age yeah. well for the time, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. What's funny though is the thing that we always worried about at the time was how the references would age and and at the time uh networks did not want you to put current topical references in your shows. I mean that was just like a hard and fast writing rule like don't put references in because in syndication it'll make it seem like an old show or it'll, it'll, mm. it'll tie it too much to a specific uh, period of time. And I know, you know, Amy had to fight a lot during the whole time at Gilmore Girls. Um, and that was certainly a thing that she fought a lot for. Like, And I'm, I'm shocked, um, but in a good way, when I look back and go, wow, she got, they, I mean, so many obscure references. Yeah. <laughs> so many. But also um, ones that were not necessarily like, timely like of the time in, yeah, in the 2000s like it wasn't always like a current reference oh. uh Haley has mentioned this on pod that like of course it's a lot of pop culture references but popular culture at the time wasn't always woven into the show that like that's what kind of makes it timeless is that the references were timeless that's and it's educated a lot of people because like there are so many things that I laughed at as a kid that I like, no now I <laughs> no idea what they're talking about I just knew it was funny and now I'm like wow that's really funny there's actually a guy on TikTok he's Australian he's wonderful I forget his name do you remember his name Haley who oh. uh, researches the references I think his name's oh. Scott oh wow he's great and uh, he does these TikToks he has so many of them that are um, explaining Gilmore Girls references I didn't understand the first time oh, and he just goes right. into these lines because there are so many of them that like it just becomes an educational experience to yeah. have to look that up and understand why it's so funny right no and that was always her point it was like people can look it up if they don't know they'll look it up they might learn something <laughs> so we're gonna laugh anyways but, yeah exactly <laughs> But it was hard, though, as a writer, because everyone assumed that we knew everything. And I remember on Bunheads, like Sutton Foster pulling me aside. She's like, I don't know what this line means. I'm like, either. (laughs) I'm sorry. I know. Sorry, Sutton. We'll look it up. I'll get back to you. But but I I, I just laugh to go along with it. But I don't even know. Well, I love it. I love that we're not alone. No. So you did you did watch this show, which I love. Um, did you have a favorite character to watch? And did you have a favorite character to write? Oh, wow. That is a great question. Um, no. <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to start. <laughs> nothing, nothing um, unusual. I mean, Emily and Paris are both incredibly fun to write because they're so different from me and 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 most people <laughs> you know the so yes <laughs> it's very freeing to be able to write to female characters in particular who are so comfortable speaking their mind about anything um and and that was a lot of fun um i mean you know it's it's the most obvious answer ever but but Lorelai and Rory were the reason you know to get sucked into the show and um my mom 
you know, who I love dearly, um, she and I, you know, didn't have the best relationship in my teen years. And so I think it was like a wish fulfillment thing of like watching and like, oh my gosh, that's what I wanted. And I remember I used to even say, I'm like, why can't we be friends? And she's like, because I'm your mother, I can't be your friend. <laughs> so, but I think, wow, yeah. But with Gilmore, though, I honestly think the fans fall into two categories. It's either the people who had that relationship and they watch it with their mom and they love that and like, that's us, or the people more like myself who was like, that's what I wanted. That's what that's the relationship I was imagining. Um, totally. And then I had two sons. So <laughs> I need to borrow <laughs> someone's poor kid. <laughs> that was a cruel joke that the universe played on you. They were like, you want this? Yeah. Well, we're going to give you two. Exactly. It's not going to be that. <laughs> <laughs> and I've even tried because I'm like, it's not just for girls. It's smart writing and it's a good oh, show. Oh, sure. And, yeah, they yeah. were. Oh, oh, oh man. Well, it's okay. Maybe one day. <laughs> But yeah, I think that that's something that we, uh, we most recently talked about on our mother's day episode. We, you know, we, we did one last year where we really explored all of the mother daughter relationships on the show, because it's not just about Lorelai and Rory or Emily and Lorelai, which I do often think gets forgotten, but it's yeah. Mrs. Kim and Lane and it's, you know, tricks and Emily. Cause there's such like tension there yes. and, you know, kind of the pseudo parent that Lorelai turns into for Lane mm-hmm. and for Paris. You know, there's so much to explore there. So what's great is that, of course, the mother-daughter relationship at the center of it all is Lorelai and Rory, and you either yearn for that or, like, commiserate with it and say, oh, I had right. that. Right. Um, but there's probably something for everybody in there, and that's what I I think we love most about this show is that you can probably pick out a relationship and identify yeah. with it. I think so. I think there's a lot, let's talk about, there's a lot of ways into the show, but you know, you don't have to just be the mother daughter. Like there, there are other things that might resonate for different people who are watching it. And, and even now men, I mean, back when it first was on and no one knew about it, certainly like any guy I ever talked to, like if they even admitted knowing its existence was like, Oh yeah, my girlfriend watches that. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and now I just, I love that. I mean, lots and lots of, Oh my God, someone was delivering furniture um, to my house the other day. And if you were to imagine a stereotypical furniture delivery driver, like early twenties kind of beefier guy and I don't remember how it came up. I think he saw awards or something in my bedroom. <laughs> and yeah. um, and so I mentioned, yeah, I worked on Gilmore Girls. And he's like, he's like, oh my God, I love Jess. Jess is great. Logan, he's no good. <laughs> I could not believe it. It was amazing. <laughs> I love that right? so much. Oh, me too. <laughs> People get into it. Oh, I love that. But yeah, yeah I've noticed that more guys have... Um, have wanted to watch and sometimes the gateway is their girlfriend like my boyfriend and I are watching the show together because he knows how important it is to me um, but we had a couple on here their names are Maya and Hunter um, because Hunter had never seen the show before and he got so invested like he was oh. in it he had so many opinions thoughts and wow. it was great it was great but so he also, he also talked about because they they got big watching it on TikTok talking about their opinions and how he was kind of frustrated with it because they went viral because it was like a man's opinion about this like typically women's yeah. thing yeah. and that like he didn't understand it wasn't until he started watching that he was like this is not just for women mm. like it's just it seems like a novelty that he's watching it but he's like this is such a smart good heartfelt show that he loves watching so I loved hearing that perspective of yeah. him being like this is a great show it's not just because I'm watching a girl's thing right oh that's so nice I, I, I know 
I need to like look into Gilmore Girls on TikTok. I have not uh, gone down. Oh yeah. Oh, we, we can point fast. you in the right direction. It's a <laughs> rabbit hole, Sheila. I, I know. I'm going to have to plan that well. Not when yes, I exactly. Yeah. You're going to have to like have a whole night to yourself. You're going to have to sit on your couch, pour a glass of wine and brace yourself. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, Mother's Day is Sunday and that is my yes. one day I feel like of the year where I can like play the mother card and go mm, mother's day you know you guys are gonna make dinner mm, whatever yeah, <laughs> sorry so, I, can, yeah. I can't it's I against the law i'm just i'm on tiktok <laughs> today <laughs> you did just mention that you said that you were gonna play the mother card that is something that lorelei talks about a lot on the show is she plays the mom card is that something you gave to her is that something that you maybe is in your vocabulary from having written on the show I think it's probably that the latter because I didn't I hadn't even I met my husband the last few weeks that I was on Gilmore Girls because I I remember he the night I met him he mentioned liking the Pixies and so I asked Dan Palladino I'm like I met a guy he likes the Pixies if I just want to buy like one Pixie CD what should it be so I get like <laughs> so Dan advised me and uh, and we're married now but um so but no during during Gilmore I was uh I was single or unhappily dating <laughs> for the entire time. Oh man. <laughs> so I love the idea. We just watched um uh Lorelei out of water when she pretends to like fishing. So that feels like similarly where you found a pixie CD to try and um win a man, which it worked. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to believe it wasn't just that, but, but. Oh you know. yeah. We would hope so. <laughs> we would genuinely hope so for you. Yeah. Well, our anniversary is Saturday and it's 17 years. So I think. Happy anniversary. Oh, Thank you. I appreciate it. It's crazy. Let's see again, Gilmore Girls, he didn't exist in my life yet. So it's, that's, that's weird how it doesn't feel like 20 years ago, but it really yeah. was. Wow. <laughs> that's so special. I love that. So we had some listener questions, of course, because oh, we cool. shared with some of them. We were like, we are having a writer on the show, pour your feelings. And a lot of them were the ones that we already asked you. But um, one of them uh, was, what was your favorite part of the writing process? And is there a favorite episode that you remember writing? Oh, wow. That is a good question. <laughs> this isn't really the, doesn't quite answer it. I'll circle back in a sec. But I, my favorite just post-writing moment was my first script there was, um, presenting Lorelai Gilmore. And believe it or not, that was the one that was least rewritten of anything I wrote on Gilmore Girls. And I, I do, I remember Dan, just like we were walking down the hallway to um, Amy's office and he's like, this is good. This is good. Like you have the voice, you know, whatever. And because I think, you know, first season of any show is always a little rocky. Uh, there's usually a lot of turnover in staff, people not quite getting what the show is or whatever. And so it, it was nice to feel like, like, I felt like he was saying like, okay, you hear it, you know, you know, mm. what it is. Um, so that was a great feeling. And, and I actually do love that episode a lot. Um, particularly now I love Richard's story and it. it's the one where he was oh, yeah. out um, and, you know, his whole identity being wrapped up in that. And, and I didn't know it at the time, but now my dad now has gone, has retired more recently. And, and I, you start to see those things, especially of, of that generation where um, men in particular, their whole identity, their whole identity is their work. Um, yeah. And then they're just kind of left with like, what, who am I now? Um, so I, I think like that is really moving to me. Um, 
and and Amy wrote all the good stuff in that story. So I'm not being self-congratulatory. <laughs> um, so I enjoyed writing that. Um, yeah, favorite part of the writing process is probably um, the rewriting. There's this misconception out there that people who are writers all love writing. And I'm like, no, think about when you were in college and you had to write a paper and when you're starting, no one loves that. It's terrifying and it's not any different for a lot of us, even if we make a living doing this. Um, the best feeling is being done writing. You know, I, I liken it to working out. <laughs> I enjoy it while I'm doing it. And then I'm happy to have done it. Um, but I will say, so once a draft exists, anything where there's, there are some words on pages and there are bones. Be, yeah. Yes. No terrible dialogue, no jokes, whatever, but it exists. And then you just get to like fine tune and make it better and better and better. That's my favorite part. I love that. So would you say that presenting Lorelai Gilmore, especially as your first script was one of your favorites to write? Yeah, for sure. That and there's the rub. Uh, I I liked a lot. And then to be honest, after that, I honestly don't even know which episodes were mine. (laughs) Well, luckily, Sheila, I can tell you. Um, (laughs) I have them right here. Uh, You wrote an episode called Let the Games Begin, which was after the dance marathon episode, Ah. which uh, was also Richard heavy. Um, It was when they go to Yale and he um, tricks them a little bit. Kind of like manipulates Rory into taking this meeting and he lure like into this huge fight. And then Emily is upset. Oh, it's very delicious. Also, there's great kiss with uh, Jess and Rory, which people really love because they're finally together. So everyone is like, yes, it's happened. We're here. Everyone, meaning Tara, is like, Everybody, yes, yes, right, they're right, here. Right. <laughs> and that shot at my old college, coincidentally, which, but that was really, really fun. Mine and another writer, John Stevens, just happened to have both gone to the same college that happens to look like um, an East Coast Ivy League college, even though it's in Southern California. And wow. so that was kind of a, that was a fun experience. To, That's amazing. I love yeah. that. Is that where they ended up shooting Yale? No, I think, um, I don't even remember where they shot, uh, on sets mostly. I don't know what, if they did, um, even the exterior, there weren't many exteriors at Yale and I feel like they were on stages. So that makes uh, sense. I feel like most of Yale was like by the coffee cart. Yeah. That was kind of like, (laughs) that was the exterior. Exactly. Exactly. Well, speaking of Yale, you were there during like the, you know, big shift from Harvard Mm. to Yale. A lot of people, there was actually on TikTok, people were misinforming other people and saying that the reason that she went from wanting to go to Harvard to actually ending up at Yale is because they said that Harvard would not allow them to film there and Yale did. And I was like, oh my gosh, you guys don't understand movie magic. Um, they shot in California, you silly gooses. <laughs> but there is like a lot of conversation about like, you know, she wanted to go to Harvard for so long, but then the switch came in season three. Mm-hmm. Is that something that was always planned, if you remember that? Or is that like a switch that came about then? I mean, it it took me by surprise. I don't know if Amy and Dan had always had it planned, but I was shocked. And again, I have the split personality as, as fan and someone who worked there. And like the fan part of me is like, what? She can't go to Yale. She's just dream as Harvard. You're Lorelai in all of this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that was probably one of those come back from hiatus and and Amy and Dan are like, okay, so this is what we're going to do this season. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Okay. Um, and in hindsight, I mean, it was the more interesting choice. It you really know? was. It, it, dramatically, absolutely. The first time really that she, that Rory doesn't 
side with Lorelai and, and kind of goes on the path that, that Lorelai's parents want, you know, which is yeah. like in the world she would have thought uh, could happen. So yeah. I, I loved it. I thought it was a really, really smart choice. But I also, as a kid, was like, wait, what? She's going to Yale? No. Yale yeah. is the Antichrist. Like, she can't go to Yale. <laughs> this is her dream. This is her dream. Right. But uh, a lot of us, you know, in hindsight, it was the more interesting choice. And Emily said it to her, actually, in Let the Games Begin. She's like, Rory can live at home if she goes to Yale. Did you ever think about that? Did you ever think about how cool it would be if she was closer to you? And then I love the shot at the end where they're both reading the pamphlet um, in separate bedrooms. It's yeah, just so yeah. good because it's like it says so much without saying anything at all. Right. And it was it was the right choice. But a lot of that is a big argument um, yeah. in the fandom of, you know, when did they decide? But it made us laugh so hard. Valerie Campbell went on because yeah. she's also on TikTok. I'm sure you oh, know. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. she was like, no. That's not true. We shot in California. What are you talking about? Who told you this? She is one of my favorite people to watch on TikTok because when people have like strong and hard opinions, as a lot of people tend to do these days, but they say things as like cold, cold hard facts, she'll get on and she'll she'll stitch it and she'll go, what? No. Who told you that? <laughs> it is yeah, no, so she, funny. Her mind is a steel trap. She remembers everything everything yeah. yeah that's why we love talking to her we had her on as you listened yeah. to the episode she remembers so much such little details about everything so yeah. many stories I was bewildered because it is it is it, it's it's like stuck in the vault of your mind when um you know when you work on a show and and you know decades pass and the fact that she can recall that yeah amazing yes. really impressive. and her stories are great because especially for the fans because they involve actors you know which mm, right. understandably that's what people you know the stories that are kind of most delicious to, to yeah fans. yeah sure and she was there with them you know we were prisoners of a writer's room but who every you know few weeks would like go to set for a few minutes and then feel awkward and leave <laughs> so um yeah no writers are, no. are big nerds and actors are like the popular kids so of course <laughs> yeah, yeah, as yeah. big nerds we love hanging out with the big nerds yeah in we this love case. yeah yeah and and this is not a diss to the actors because oh. i i love them that's how we fell in love with the show but we also fell in love with the show because of the story but we have actually wanted to like have more writers and more behind the scenes people mm -hmm. on our podcast yeah. because yeah. that's where a lot of the story was cultivated and obviously there's storytelling within acting that's the gig oh, right but um that's why it was so exciting for us to have you on today oh. because to hear about it from the mind of someone who created so much of this show is very important and very cool and on that note <laughs> I, I would love to talk a little bit about what's going on with writers right now if yeah. you have a little time to share because I think it's really important to talk about Thank you. Um, it is, and it's always hard for me. I haven't, I haven't like um, distilled it down to like a nice, easy to explain thing. So, I, and That's I don't okay. want to go on too far. But basically, sure. um, the industry has just wildly changed from the, the model of of making shows that existed before the streamers. So this is really all comes about because of Netflix, Amazon, Apple. They're tech companies basically, and they. Um, want to make writing into to more of like a like a gig economy kind of a job um short term just go show to show new staffs each season and they also don't see the value of a writing staff staying on for production of the show as if the writing just ends after 
you come up with what the stories are going to be. So now they do this horrible thing that they made up called a mini room. Mm. And it goes for like 10 or 20 weeks. And they pay people just a minimum flat weekly rate that has nothing to do with um, how you've been paid before. Normally we're paid based on episodes, like an episode fee, um, which that's, that also has been challenging because we used to do, you know, 22, 24 episodes. And now it's like six, eight, 10. Yeah, they, they've yeah. shrunk them down in these limited series for sure. Which makes for better television. Absolutely. But they take just as long as the 22 or 26 did. So it's you're the, right. there for a whole year. And then there, and there aren't residuals on those kinds of shows, but going back to the mini rooms. So they will have people in, pay them the least they possibly can just have them on for a short time and send them on their way. And then they tend to keep a couple of executive producers around for the whole rest of the season. And so those two people have to rewrite all the scripts, write all the ones that hadn't been written yet, be on set for production from, you know, crew call to post, which was to, um, <laughs> to wrap. That was wrap was the word I was looking for. Um, so it's a very, very long day on set. Then have to be post. They do everything. So if you amortize all of that over what we're being paid, mm. it, it, most people are making less than they made at their very first TV writing job. Um, and these are like executive producers. Um, so it it's always tricky to talk about. I hate talking money because in the past- sure. Our last strike, I, th I feel like we got painted as like greedy Hollywood writers, you know, mm. um, I'm grateful that this time people seem to really see that the bad guy is corporate greed and that that we're the labor just trying to get fair wages for our jobs, yeah. um, you know, and to, and to be able to keep it a career like that you can make your living doing this, not just the occasional 10 weeks here. And then maybe next year you'll get another 10 weeks. You know, that's not no. sustainable. Yeah. So those are the main things. And and I know people also say like AI, I heard it's about AI taking over and, and there is AI stuff in there. Right. Because that is going to become a concern. It's tricky for us trying to negotiate future technology. Like we, we have, we need to protect ourselves, but it's always hard to know exactly what we're protecting ourselves from. Of course. Um, so, but, so we're trying to, and the, um, the studios that we're negotiating with actually said, well, we don't want to negotiate about AI because we don't know how we're going to use it yet. <laughs> so they wanted to protect their ability to do whatever they want with AI. And to have like an annual meeting about it. Yes, and yeah. I'm oh, like, you, you read the details. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I okay. certainly oh, did. Meeting. Oh, great. Good. Yeah. No, I think this is really, really important. Mm -hmm. I, I don't understand it. It's so sad because it's a tale as old as time, right? Like not even just in the entertainment industry, but yeah. everywhere that it's like the people at the top. And again, it's not about money, but of course it is because it's, it's really just about, like you said, having a livable wage and having a career. And those are standard things that a human being should be able to attain without having to fight someone for it. And when the people at the top are clearly doing just fine, you know, there is no reason to bar people who are doing the brunt of the work from also doing yes. just fine. 
Yeah, it's not like we're doing community theater and we have $20 to put up a show so no one gets paid, but we all love doing it, you know. No, this is a a, a big, big, big moneymaker (laughs) for all of them. Yeah, and I I think that what you were talking about before about people being like, oh, greedy Hollywood writers. These are the people who don't realize that they come home from work every day and the first thing they do is turn on the TV and they're watching watching their programs, watching their show, getting caught up on all of this and they'll look out and say like, greedy Hollywood, not recognizing that the faces that they see are the ones that are making millions and millions of dollars, but the things that they're saying are provided by people who are not being treated fairly. And that's why, that's why you have to strike. And I, I fully support that. And we're we're so glad that you can come on and share it with our listeners who probably maybe have peripherally heard about this, but definitely are very dedicated to television, obviously, Obviously. because of their love of Gilmore Girls. (laughs) Well, thank you. I, I have been blown away by the support of just almost everyone you know we'll get we'll get one mean driver that passes by per week going yeah go back to work but general oh, God. Yeah. support and president biden spoke yes. out right. everyone it's been really really great to feel that support from everybody and to feel valued in that way Good. Yeah. And you know that person who yelled by being mean, we're probably going home to watch Succession. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just yell spoilers at him at this point. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I love that strategy. <laughs> How has this been different from the last strike so far? It feels completely different um, than the last strike because we have so much support. I, I feel like the last one again, came off a little more like that greedy writers thing, which I, I can't even remember all the issues of the last one. It, it, I think well, it was- A lot of it had to do with like new media. Streaming and new media and as, as with AI and here we are. Now, and here we are. Yes, exactly. So like on the topic of AI, you're just trying to protect yourselves from future, exactly. it, it's not the same, but it's it's very similar. But what was different though, was I, I feel like the things we were fighting for in, in that negotiation were more things like, you know, contribute more to our pension fund or, you know, uh, raise our minimums, more things like that. This is about the very existence of our business. Like it, it is, it's really crucial and I don't know how it's going to play out. But, yeah. um, and the other thing that's different is we have all of the other unions supporting us, which um, the DGA has never never supported us and at our big like rally the troops meeting last week the dga was there sag after was there mm. teamsters, every union um and the teamsters won't cross the picket lines which is awesome mm-hmm. so the trucks turning around and going away and production yeah. shut down yeah. you know it's gonna be a while until it hurts them they have so much content banked they're like yeah we can just keep doing this forever have fun picketing in the hot summer you know yeah but as far as I'm concerned the writers are not divided on this. The other no. issues in the past, you know, there've been some where like, oh, we can live with that or whatever. This, we're all just like, well, no, we can't, we can't go on the way it is now. So we're not really losing out on that much by, by stopping work. <laughs> so it just, it has to change. Um, yeah, 100%. Well, we support you immensely. There are so many people who support you. And I know that uh, your world has been turned upside down because of it. So thank you for taking the time to sit down with us and talk. Yeah. We really oh, appreciate it. We mentioned it before we got on, but you were picketing today. You came from that to join us yeah. here today, which we are so, so grateful for. Seriously. Well, that's why I'm grateful that it's um, uh, radio, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, okay. As long as, uh, yeah, voice only, this is great. Yeah. I have, I have a, uh, a Gilmore 
plug to make if I'm allowed sure. to do so. And if oh, of course. Well, I'm sure you've heard, I'm sure Valerie told you about the fan festival that happens. Yeah. And I, I mentioned it only because I'm, I don't think you guys have been, and I think you would love it. I have no vested interest in it. I, yeah. I, I'm not even sure if I'll be going this year, but it is such a lovely community of people that get together every year. The cast that participates are always so nice. And I mean, everyone has just become friends. I'm on like a, a Zoom every Saturday with just a, rant, a woman from Germany and people from all over the country. And they all this went through the pandemic and just people who met at the festival. Um, yeah. And it's just, as you can imagine, fans of Gilmore tend to be pretty nice decent people <laughs> like yeah. they all, everyone was kind um especially at a time when a lot of our world hasn't been so kind and so um but they're not allowed to um the the people who organize it all are not allowed to advertise it as a Gilmore thing which makes it really hard to get new people um and so that's why and I, I so I checked I'm like I'm allowed to mention it though I mean you can't they can't stop me from saying yeah. like, oh, say something so I just wanted to because the the couple that puts it on they're they are lovely and hardworking and just love providing this experience for everyone and everyone I know it ends up being for me it's the best weekend of the year every year that I've done it um it's oh, so I love lovely that so much. and so yeah so just I just since the people listening are fans as well and may not know it and if they don't may not find out about it because they can't use the word Gilmore it's um the fanfest society.com the fanfest society yeah Valerie mentioned it to us and okay, I good. so I'm actually from Connecticut and I will huh? never forget the first time they did it it was in Kent, Kent. I think. yeah I was Kent. there yeah yeah I yeah. wanted to go or Washington Depot Washington yeah. Depot yeah. did first year. Um, I wanted to go so badly, but I didn't find out about it until like the week before because it was right before the revival oh, came out. And yeah, I yeah. remember being like, I can't believe I missed this. Like, I feel like a bad <laughs> Connecticut lady that I missed this. And, and a bad Gilmore fan. And a bad Gilmore <laughs> fan. Like, how, how could I? And um, I've I've wanted to go and it always just happens to uh, fall on a weekend I can't go. But I have been thinking, yeah. especially after no, we Valerie were, mentioned it, we were talking yeah. about the possibility of connecting with them and seeing if we could, you know yeah. find a way to work together it's a shame that they're not allowed to advertise it as a Gilmore Girls situation Mm-mm. but that makes sense why they changed their name to the Fan Fest Society right. that all makes sense now so trying to put the word out just because again, it's such a special event that people really love and so I want more people to know about it and it's yeah. um September 28th to I think October 1st this year yeah in- in Ogunquit, Maine. So. Right, that's right. They moved it up to Ogunquit. Yeah, cool. which I did last went last year, and it was great. It was a, a oh, that's awesome little town. And yeah. yeah, we'll definitely have to connect with them. Um, but in the meantime, if you're interested, go to thefanfestsociety.com and check them out. Thank Love you. So much. Anyway, Sheila, thank you so much. We really appreciate being here with us today. This was amazing, and we wish you the best of luck as you navigate the strike. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to me ramble on about it. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime, anytime. I will get back to you about uh, the Jeff spinoff and what happened there. Yes. (laughs) Tell the writers we said hi. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Will do. Thank you guys again. This was great.
If you want more Gilmore to say, join us on Patreon where you can listen to our spoiler-full rewatch podcast, Gilmore Revisited, where we're currently watching season three. You can also join us for live watches, our community Discord page, and get monthly merch discounts to our old-fashioned merch shop at gilmoretosay.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Gilmore to Say Podcast, where you can stay up to date on all things Gilmore to Say.